0: 2,000 years ago, an event happened that split history in two. Not only that, it guaranteed salvation for God's people. That event is what we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to talk about that, but we're also going to continue, for those of you who are a guest we have been doing a study through first timothy and as often happens i found that as we came to this time that uh, where we were in first timothy chapter 3 verse 16 the confession that paul gives he's just talked about godliness among christian leaders he's just talked about godliness in the behavior of the saints of god in the church and so he goes back to the foundation by mentioning the true mystery of godliness, not what we do, but what Christ has done. And so we're going to walk through that today with a bunch of Scripture, learning what we can about not only the confession that we confess by common confession, he says at the first part of verse 16, And so, since it is a common confession, I would like for us to do this. I would like to say this ancient, probably one of the first confessions of faith together. Would you say it with me, please? He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up, in glory. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes now that we would behold the wondrous things that you give us in your Word. I pray that each one of us would take it in by faith that you grant to us so that we can walk out of this place either born again, born anew, if we've walked into this place without knowing Jesus, or we can walk out as believers encouraged by what you tell us in your Word. And I thank you for that. Bless us now as we study, to hear and to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you have your worship guide in front of you, I hope. Uh, we are a, uh, a church that, that usually we have our Bibles open, we take notes, and so you will have the opportunity to jot down scriptures, go back and look at those as we walk through this. Now, again, true godliness, and that's what we're about That's God's goal for each person in here. No matter how young you are or how old you are, true godliness, which is our response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we'll define that in a minute, but it issues forth in obedience and righteous living. Get this, please. will never be accomplished solely by what we do, but by what God has done. and We go back in history. We we, we look at this. We looked a little bit of this last night. What is this mystery of godliness revealed in Jesus Christ? Because you got a lot of years before Jesus came on the scene, and yet in all of the Old Testament, we get glimpses, we get shadows, we get types of the the king who was coming someday. I don't know that everybody got these, but looking back, we certainly can. Let me give you the really the first, and I have no idea whether Adam and Eve here in in this context, they had been created. He had been created. Eve had been fashioned from his side. Adam had been given the command not to eat the fruit. He did. They fell into sin. So here is God Giving the, the curses, he's doling out the punishment that he said would come upon all creation. And then he puts in this little thing. He's actually giving the curse to the serpent. And he says, he, now, who's the he? It's capitalized because it's the first word of the sentence. But it's capitalized because it should be capitalized. Who is the he? He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his again capital h his heel i have no idea if adam and eve were sitting there standing there in front of god and he's pronouncing this curse on the serpent i kind of think they didn't get it they probably didn't understand the full impact that that many years later there would be the enemy of our souls satan who would bruise jesus but only on his heel. And he would crush the head of the enemy by his death and by his burial and by his resurrection. I don't know why. I guess I always took that. I looked at it. And I thought, well, what, is, what does that mean? I knew it, I knew it was about Jesus because people had told me that it was about Jesus. I kind of thought maybe it was the reason why women, by and large... Now, some of you women may be exceptions to this, but women, by and large, are afraid of snakes. And I, My wife is. And I wondered, well, was that a part of the curse? Listen, I have no idea, but I do know that this was looking forward and then all through the Old Testament. Right after the curse, you know what God did? He looked at the clothing that Adam and Eve had fashioned for themselves, fig leaves. He said, that'll never do. You can't go to an Easter Sunday morning dressed in fig leaves. He said, I'm going to make you some new clothes. Now, I'm kidding about that because we know what that was about. The killing of animals, being clothed with the sacrificial animals. What's that all about? And we walk through the pages of the old testament and these things right there in the beginning chapter of the book of genesis right when it all started it was just the beginning of the types and the shadows as i said a few moments ago of how god would someday bring his own godliness when we don't have that godliness All we've got is the fig leaves that we've created. We need something else. And God promised that he would bring his godliness to his sinful creatures through his son, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And over and over again he did that. In fact, to the degree that when Jesus was raised from the dead and he was with some of his apostles, he pointed to this very thing do you remember when he said this? This is post-resurrection. Remember when he said this in Luke chapter 24? He said, look, guys, these words, these are my words which I spoke when I was still with you. Everything written, and by the way, when you see the, the words, the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, the histories, all the rest of that, he is saying that everything written about me there has been fulfilled. And then he goes on to say this, he opened their minds. You know, I've shared this with you before, and some of you are new, so you you don't know this. But when I get up and preach a sermon, my only hope that you'll get it is that your minds be opened. And I don't mean that you open them. My real only hope is, oh God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open the minds of the people who hear these truths, the gospel truths, so that they will believe. So Jesus opened their minds, watch this, to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. What's he talking about? He's talking about the entire Old Testament. Old Testament. And the apostles began to get it. The light began to go on. So that with the apostles, it was not a problem. We have this sometimes. It was never a problem with the apostles of finding Jesus in the Old Testament. It was really a matter of where do we not see Jesus on every page. So when Paul comes to speak about godliness... He points us, this is in this passage of scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He points all of us, he pointed them to the only sure foundation of our godliness, which is the mystery of godliness. And here's what he's saying: the mystery of godliness, mystery in terms of not being fully revealed in the Old Testament. We said this last week, it's not like a whodunit novel, a Nancy Drew series, it's not like that. This was something that was shadowed, veiled in the Old Testament. But when Jesus came, it exploded all of that and it was the mystery revealed. But, but, but we say this often, not just in a what. It's one thing to receive the words of this book and take them in intellectually. The mystery of godliness is not really first a what, it is a who. And it is the person of Jesus Christ. So let's walk through this. You've got it. Uh, A six-point sermon on Easter Sunday, an Easter confession. And let's walk through this. A lot of scripture, a lot of things that just show. The word resurrection is never used in this old confession of faith, but it's all through it. It's saturated with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right. Jesus was manifested in the flesh. If you're taking notes and you want to, right out beside that, incarnation. Incarnation. Jesus, the mystery from the ages, was manifested in the flesh. I got to go back to Christmas for this because we usually talk about the incarnation, uh, incarnation being at Christmas, but some of the great hymns that we sing at Christmas, could be sung today. They, they really could. So I think of John Wesley's great song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We're not going to sing that today. But listen to what he said And, and as I, we were singing and reading the Scripture, and I thought, this is, it's just all woven in. I'll tell you, Charles Wesley was a great hymn writer. John Wesley was a great preacher. Needed to have his theology tweaked just a tad, but you, you understand that. Listen to the words, that, and not all of them, but just, just a line from that great hymn. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with, as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, the one who has come to reveal what God is like. And so we go back and the apostles again, they, they, they see this even in this ancient confession. In the beginning was what? The Word, the Logos. And the Word was with God. Now hang on to your hats because the Word was God. Then you jump down to verse 14, and what happens there? The Word, who was God, became flesh, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, took on human flesh, the incarnation, the birth of Christ, but more than that, His entire life was God incarnate, and that's why John later, as he was writing his letters, would start out his first one by talking about what the disciples did when they were with Jesus. And and he uses these very, very familiar words, what we have seen, what we have touched. Jesus was not just a phantom or a ghost. He was reality. He was flesh and blood, but he was God in flesh and blood. I read a story, I, I was not aware of this. I've never been to England, and yet in London there is a very tall column called Lord Nelson's Column. It was constructed in the 1800s to commemorate Lord Nelson, who was a British naval commander, his victory over Napoleon. Now, get this I, I think this is a great picture of what God did for us when he made himself visible. Easily understood. The column is 170 feet tall. The statue on top of it of Lord Nelson is 18 feet tall. But if you're standing below and you're looking up, craning up to see, you can only see an outline. No way you can see details. You can't see the features of Lord Nelson's face He's 18 feet tall. And so in 1948, they did this at an exhibition. They made a an exact replica of Lord Nelson, put him at the base of the column so people could come up close and see what Lord Nelson, according to the sculptor, really looked like. And I read that story, and I thought, you know... It, Illustrations, are all, they always break down somewhere, but that, that is a picture of what God did. God, the, in some ways, unknowable God, came close to us so we could see what he was like. Let me say one more thing. Jesus was not a, please hear this, a God wannabe. There are plenty of people who have come along and they've said, hey, I think I'd like to be. God. He wasn't a God wannabe. And I'll say another thing. He didn't identify as God. Are you catching my drift? When you're really one thing, but you decide you want to be another thing, and just so you can identify. Jesus did not identify. He he wasn't one thing who pretended to be another. He was true God who became true man, 100 percent, 100 percent, not only so that he could be sympathetic to all as fully man, but so that he could be Lord of all as fully God. And he was Lord. He's Jesus was and is sovereign. Let me just show you a couple of things. We're not going to go over these verbatim, but, but I just want you to see in this study last week, I, I just did these. Okay, the study, how has God revealed that he's sovereign? A lot of ways. This is not even exhaustive. Well, he's, he's revealed it over nature when he stilled the sea and calmed the storm and the waves and the, the winds Stopped. The disciples were so stunned. They said, who in the world is this that even nature obeys him? The demons obey him. Now, we don't talk about and think about a lot about demons today. Do do you think they just stopped being? No, I I don't think so. I I just don't think they're recognized as much. It was more prominent in, in the days of the apostles. But he was sovereign over the demons, the unclean spirits. They thought they had everything under control, but all he had to do was just to snap his fingers and say, Come on out. He commanded the unclean spirits, and what did they do? They obeyed him. Disease, illness, the woman with the issue of blood coming up and touching the fringe of his garment, and in an instant she was healed and she gave testimony. She said, I was healed immediately, even death, Jairus' daughter, who had died. Don't trouble the master anymore. She's already dead. No, she's not dead. She's asleep. They laughed, and he went in, and he said, child, arise. And immediately her spirit came back to her because he was Lord over death. Now, I'll add one more. I didn't put it up on the PowerPoint, but please understand this. I think I might have alluded to this last week. God is sovereign over nations, and He is sovereign over leaders. I, I hear talk all of the time, and and Christians say this is scary stuff. We're full of fear because of what happens or might happen, happen in in the future. And sometimes I, I I heard a week or so ago, Jan. Asking me to listen to this, and it said, We as a nation, by the way, we're dealing with a whole world, but it was talking about our nation. We might lose our sovereignty. And I thought about that and I realized, Well, yeah, in a way, but is any nation truly sovereign? It is God who is sovereign over the nations who will raise up and put down as he sees fit so that he can use the nations and rulers even evil rulers for his glory. John the Baptist said it like this, the one who's coming after me is over all. Did you ever notice that? He talked a lot about the one who was coming after him. He said, look, the one who's coming after me is over all. And my guess is that's why when when he said what he did about his cousin, Being over all, my guess is that's why he followed it with these words. He must increase, and I must decrease. I thought to myself last week wow, if I really got that God is sovereign, then he must increase in my life. That'd be a good thought for us to carry with us today, if no other. And I must decrease. So he was manifested in the flesh. That's the first part of the confession. Let's go on to the second one. He was vindicated by the Spirit. I put big S, indicating that that is the Holy Spirit. Now John, who who was talking about he must increase, I must decrease, he also added that Jesus was given the Spirit, listen to this, without measure the Holy Spirit. I I don't fully understand all of these theological concepts, the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ. I I don't fully understand. I kind of have a little inkling of maybe beginning to, to figure it out. But as, listen, as fully man, the Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity, was Jesus' constant companion through his life. going back to the conception of Jesus, even before he was born. Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit was was active in his baptism. When he was baptized and he came up out of the water, the Spirit descended on him like a dove and rested on him. The Spirit was active, get this, in his temptation in the wilderness, full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus returned, and who led him into the temptation in the wilderness? It was the Holy Spirit of God. And then finally, the Holy Spirit vindicated Jesus' life, his vicarious, substitutionary, atoning death. All of those words are very important. He died in the place of sinners like you and me. It was a substitute. It was vicarious. It was full and complete. It was atoning. It satisfied God. And how could that be vindicated? How could that be shown as being real? Well, Paul said it in Romans. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And because, here's the hope. And I don't know that maybe for many years I didn't make this connection. I, I just knew that all I needed to do as a boy was just walk down the aisle and, and say I give my heart to Jesus and, and believe and I was saved and I was baptized and you go on from there. But it's because of the resurrection, him being raised to live forever, that gives us the hope that we can be forgiven. So that's, that's why I've been praying for those of you who are here and you may not know Jesus personally. I've been praying for you today. It's the reality of the resurrection that the Spirit has borne witness to that gives us the hope of forgiveness. So, He was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. And He was eyeballed by angels. That's what that word means. Oggled. Ogled. He was eyeballed. He was seen. This is not a casual seeing, and you're going to see this. I couldn't, be, I couldn't believe it. I, my angelology has really t- taken a jump forward since studying for this sermon. I, I was blown away by how much angels. Now, again, I still don't quite understand all of that. He's got the Holy Spirit, but still angels, those perfect beings created for, for announcing and for ministry and for all kinds of things. The angels were and are and will be so active in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hang on to your note sheet because we're, we're going to run. I, I'm going to give you a lot. You think I've given you a lot of scripture before? And, and I had to leave out a ton. But let's just look and see what angels had to do With Jesus Christ, the holy angels. Hang on to your hat. The angels go all the way back, book of Genesis, all the way back to creation. It wasn't just the Trinity. It wasn't just the the Godhead. Job gives us some insights. Now, this is one of the names, two of the names given to angels, the morning stars, the sons of God. But they were there, and guess what they were doing? Now, I I came away with this, um, not in my notes. I just had this thought as I was studying about angels. Uh, they, they, They could be a lot of things, but one of the things they could be is rowdy. I didn't even put down that there is joy in the presence, there's celebration in the presence of the angels of God. When one person is saved, I didn't even put that down. But angels can be rowdy. They were rowdy at creation. Sometimes we get this idea, we, we, you know, that the scenes, like we talked about on Friday night, the scene around the cross is very quiet and somber. No, the angels, they were watching what Jesus, we just read in Colossians, Jonathan, thank you for doing that. Who created everything that is? And for whom was it created? And by whom? It was for, created by Jesus and through him and for him. And when he was creating, the angels had a holy nanny. We'll get to this in a minute. I think angels, I don't think they know everything. And so there there are times when the angels are blown away, and I think this is one of those times. God was laying the foundation of the world, and the angels were looking on. They were eyeballing the Son of God, Jesus, making everything, laying the foundation of the world. And they were, whoa, they were blown away. So that's the first thing that we had of the angels. Let's add a couple more. They announced the miraculous conception done by the Holy Spirit, remember, but they announced it. This was so good. Who did God use to announce the, the, the conception of Jesus to Joseph and Mary wasn't got good, not to just per, to, to come to Mary and prepare her heart, but also to prepare the heart of Joseph. So what did he do? He sent angels. The angel Gabriel probably was also the angel Gabriel who was the primary announcing angels, but angel. but he had a lot under him. So he sent another one to Joseph and said, look, you're going to be a dad of the Son of God. Announced that to him. And when the birth of Jesus came, they had another holy hootenanny. Now one, one angel spoke, and then there was a choir when they were announcing to the shepherds about the birth of Christ. And then we go on. The angels were with him At the conclusion of his wilderness temptations, who came to minister to Jesus? The angels. And again, I I don't know all of the relationship there, but I think he looked forward to their ministry. They were there to minister to him. They were also there to minister to him in the garden when he was praying, Father, if, if, if it's possible, let this cup passed from me, great! His sweat was like great drops of blood. Who was there to minister to Jesus? Who? The the angels, and then we find them active once more. I, I mentioned this Friday night, and I kind of botched it for those of you who were here. But it's a great story: temptation in the in, in the garden. So, Jesus has just come through that. He's come back, and, and all of the, uh, his enemies come to arrest him. So, here's Peter, and he's going to help him out, right? Haven't we been guilty of that sometimes? We're going to draw our sword, we're going to help God out. So, Peter takes his sword out and lops off the ear of the high priest, a uh, high priest servant. And Jesus basically says, put up your sword. He healed the guys here, and then he let him in on an insight. Peter, look, I've got friends in high places. (laughs) He didn't say that. But he he said, "Do, do you not think I could just kind of think this, give this little request, and my father would unleash 12 legions of warring angels. Now, get a picture of this. That's 66,000 angels. And if you go back in the, New, in the Old Testament and you remember the story of the Assyrians under Sennacherib, you remember that story? And how they were coming against Israel and, and so God sent one angel And one angel killed 185,000 seasoned Assyrian warriors that you didn't mess with. Do the math. If one angel can kill that many, Jesus was basically saying this, and this would be for today, Uh, Peter, really, I've got this. And if I, want, if I wanted to stop it, which I don't because you don't get it right now, but if I wanted to stop it, all I have to do is just call, and I'll have 66,000 angels who could wipe out 12.2 billion people. That's greater than the population of the earth today. I would say Jesus really did have it under control. Now, hang on, we're not through. The angels... Also were present at the resurrection. There was an earthquake. Who's behind that? For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and he came and rolled back the stone. He had been doing his crossfit, I guess. Roll back that stone. That sounds like one of their exercises. And then the ladies show up. don 't be afraid," he said. I know that you've come to seek Jesus, but he's not here he is risen just as he said. So they were there at the resurrection, and then they were there at the ascension. You know the ascension? Jesus walked around and showed himself with many proofs for many days, and then while they were looking on, look at this. The angel was right there, and he was taken out of their sight. We'll come back to that verse because there's a very important part of that that we don't want to miss. Now, we're not finished with the angels, I warned you. The angels finished, not on your life. Whoa, this is future. So we don't have a chance to look back except in the pages of Scripture. We really don't have a chance to think forward except in the pages of Scripture. But the angels are not through. I think they're still ministering today. To God's saints. I, I don't understand all of the uh, how that works, but the scripture seems to reveal that. But, but guess what? There's going to be a time when Jesus returns. Now, no matter what your eschatology, here's what the angels are going to be doing when Christ comes back there's going to be a super loud trumpet call. You think the sirens on, at 12 o'clock on Saturday are loud? There's going to be a trumpet call earthwide, and they will gather his elect. Let me ask you something. Are you one of God's elect? How do you know if you have believed in Jesus Christ? You know you're one of his elect. And so they're going to gather. The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. When I preached through the book of 2 Thessalonians, I, I said, look, whatever your belief about the coming of Christ, this is not going to be quiet when he gathers his elect. Again, the angels are going to be, they're going to be rowdy, okay? The angels will come out at the very end and they will separate the evil from the righteous. Oh, so we're going to get to see the angels actually face-to-face in action. We're going to see and be a part of that great separation. The angels loved eyeballing Jesus. Guess what else they love to do? I I don't, except from this verse, that's not my signal to be through. (laughs) I've still got some more time. Okay. trying to figure out where that came from. (laughs) Kidding. I, I I think there are spiritual forces in the invisible places here right now. There's demonic activity that as the gospel is preached, the birds come and pluck it away. You remember that story, the parable of the soils? And he... I'm telling you that the that demons do that every Sunday. That's why people can walk out. He said, "What? No, he didn't say that. I don't remember him saying that." Well, guess what? It was plucked out of that that hard-packed earth of the of of the heart. But I think that there are also angels that are looking on. I really do, because here's what they concerning. This salvation, we're here today not because we're a part of a club like Rotary or whatever or a good religious organization. We're here today to worship the one who has saved us and the angels who are pure and perfect, but they have never experienced what we experience salvation. And I think they're all over it boy, look, look at that. Look at, look at what's happening in that person's heart. They're, they are looking because they long to look, eyeball the whole process of our salvation. Now, you know what? None of this makes any sense or difference unless we tell others. And that's why it says not only was he manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit seen by angels, but he was proclaimed among the nations. And we get a feel from the words of the apostle Paul that that happened in the first century. But Jesus didn't come back, and so there is a need for that to continue to happen. What happens after Jesus is gone? The apostles have planted the church. What is proclaimed? What is proclaimed? Jonathan got it right. The good news. Let me, let me say it another way that the Bible says it. It's the gospel which means the good news. And we come back to this basic verse that is so good. Oh, excuse me, I'm skipping ahead. For I delivered to you, this verse is also so good. As a first important what I also received that Christ, there's the gospel. We can say the gospel is a lot of things, but Paul said the gospel is this. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. That means he was really dead. And he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. And you can't have one without the other. That is the gospel message. And then he goes on. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all of the nations. What an incredible message. This is a message of done. And there are a lot of religions, even the Christian religion, where you're taught to do, to do, to do, to earn your acceptance from a holy God, and it'll never happen. And so that's why the gospel is such good news. And he's told us, I've already done this for you. And so the gospel must be proclaimed Through all of the nations. And it is being. Aren't you grateful? I I think about this often. I'm just grateful that at a point in time, somebody cared enough. Okay? It's not just hearing the gospel, it's caring enough to share the gospel with family members, neighbors, people around the world. In, in many different ways, but I am so glad that somebody cared enough to send somebody who cared enough to send somebody who cared enough to share the gospel with a skinny little 11-year-old sitting in Calvary Baptist Church in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and that the Lord opened my eyes, and I heard the gospel and I've shared with you before, I don't remember any of the sermons that my pastor ever preached growing up. But I do remember a faithful Sunday school teacher who bribed us junior boys. He really did. That was when you, can you believe this? We used to check. Did did any of you ever do this? We had check marks. So if you brought your Bible, if you read your Bible, if you prayed and all that kind of stuff, you got check marks, and the person who came the most to Sunday school in a quarter and who had the most check marks would win a prize. He bribed us, but when he had us there, he shared about Jesus to a bunch of scrawny little guys that many of them later on received the Lord. And that's what the next one is about. It's one thing to proclaim the gospel in all of the nations, but it's another thing to believe it. And I I said that at the very beginning. I, I don't, look, I don't know how else I can say this. It's one thing to know, but it's another thing to believe. And God loved this world so much that he sent his only son, Here's the part I really want you to park on, that whoever believes will have eternal life. We do not believe in universal salvation. We believe in universal proclamation so that those who will believe will be saved. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. Let me just ask you, do you believe today? Do you really believe? That is so vital. So many unreached people groups, so many unengaged people groups, and Jesus has said this, and he said it to Heritage Baptist as well as to every Christian, I must bring them in also. But as the infomercial says, wait, there's more. One last thing. This is future. And this 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 is really, I I I literally I'm getting a little bit of shivers up my spine when I think about this. He was believed on in the world and he was taken up into glory. We already talked about the ascension. The exaltation of Jesus Christ. I'll give you the verse for that again. When he had said these things, while they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took them out, him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, here are those angels again, men of Galilee. Why are you standing around? Get out there and proclaim the gospel. Do you know why? Because this same Jesus, we believe in the bodily resurrection of the saints. Get a new body. We believe in the bodily return of physical bodily return of the Lord Jesus Christ. This same Jesus was taken up from you. He's going to come in the same way as you saw him go up into heavens. There was a time when the rocks were split at his death. But there is coming a time when the heavens will be rent and Jesus will come with His mighty angels. We have said that one of our foundational pieces of doctrinal truth is the Apostles' Creed, and it says that from whence He will come, heaven, to judge the living and the dead. And for 2,000 years, we've been waiting. How much longer? Wouldn't it be great? Today's supposed to be a great day, and some of you are going to get to together with family. I am. We're going to be outside. We're going to be eating. We're going to be doing a lot of different things. And wouldn't it be interesting if all of a sudden we heard that trumpet? Mid-bite? I think we're going to put our plates aside because the Lord will be coming back and He will gather all of his saints to himself. I I, I think I told you a couple of weeks ago, as I get older, I start thinking about um, things, you you know, of the end. 20 years ago, eh, maybe a passing thought, and as a pastor, you, you can guess doing the number of funerals that I do, how many people are just not prepared, like they don't have anything done, no wishes, no... Where do you want to be buried and what what do you want your service to look like? So I went to a funeral home several weeks ago when Jan was out of town. And I talked to him about prearranging. I said, wow, it costs that much? Well, that was one of the things I said. So when Jan got home, I said, hey, guess where I've been today? Funeral home. Well, we've taken one step further. By the way, I I think it's probably prudent, especially when you start getting a little bit older, you're a little bit closer, right? Not going to live forever, barring the, the return of the Lord. He can come back. You don't need all that stuff. But we actually, this last week, looked at purchasing cemetery plots so we could be prepared because it's important. To be prepared, right? It's important for us. It's important for our children, our grandchildren, to at least have some of that stuff in order. But let me tell you something. It is far more important that your soul is prepared to meet the Lord when He comes back. And he is coming back. One more time. Would you say it with me? He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory, from which he is coming again. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that as we conclude our time of the celebration of the resurrected Christ, that you would grant repentance and faith to all of us here today. As a believer, I need an increased measure of repentance and faith, but Lord, I'm particularly thinking about anyone who does not know you, that you would soften the heart of their soil, that the Word would find its way that after being granted repentance and faith, they would call out to you, even as the thief on the cross did. Remember me. Father, I pray salvation would come to folks here in this building today. And I pray, too, that we would be encouraged as believers that this great confession, this mystery of godliness revealed in Jesus Christ has given us the foundation where we can live godly lives in Christ. So help us, Lord, to receive this word. Help us to live it out for your glory and your glory alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.